Many people in the new year begin to read through their Bibles once again. Some start in Genesis, some in Matthew, some in Proverbs, some in Psalms. I thought it might be helpful to begin the year for a number of reasons to begin with a message from Psalm 1. So if you would, please open your Bible or the Bible in the rack uh, in the seat in front of you. And the words will also be on the screens. And would you please stand if you're able to give honor and attention to the reading of God's word. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here ends the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word, which guides our thinking and feeling, our wills, and the actions of our hands and feet. Today, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The poet Robert Frost wrote in The Road Not Taken, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Psalm 1 is what is called a wisdom psalm or an instructional psalm. It gives us a map of the future as a choice between two different paths or ways. The paths are characterized not by their geography or topography, but by the character of the people who walk on them. On one path are the righteous who bring with them the scriptures, the instruction of the Lord. Their lives are fruitful, and their end is happiness because their journey is under the affection, protection, and approval of the Lord. On the other path walk the wicked, sinners, and scoffers, whose lives are fruitless and whose final destination is judgment and unhappiness. The questions we want to consider today are, which path are you and I on? What will be the result of taking that path, and where will that path end up? And to give you the message in a nutshell is this. The true path 
to happiness in this world and the next is to give up false claims to personal autonomy and become the object of the Lord's affection and approval. So let's look first in verses 1 and 2 at the contrasting source of values of the people on the two paths. On one path is the person who guides his life by God's instructions. His values come from God's word. Verses 1 and 2 say, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. To be blessed means to be truly happy in life, guided by God's instructions. We see the same language of blessing in Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, beginning in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, and so on. The word blessed and the word beatitudes come from the same root. The blessed person is truly happy because he's showered by God's favor. To meditate means to actively ponder the scriptures, so that when we face everyday situations, we seek to please the Lord by knowing and following his word. James chapter 1 in the New Testament encourages us in the same way. He wrote, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. The one who looks into the perfect law and perseveres, being not a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There's that word, blessed again. On the other path is the person who, by contrast, guides his life by the advice of those who reject God's instruction. Look again at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The implication is that some people take their counsel with the wicked. They stand in agreement with sinners Sit down to dinner, if you will, with scoffers. That is, their lives are guided by those who reject the instruction of the Lord. For example, in the Garden of Eden, Eve followed the counsel of the serpent who twisted God's words. And then, in turn, Adam followed her lead. And they t together they fell into sin. By contrast, in the wilderness, Jesus rejected the counsel of the devil, appealing accurately to God's word, and thus avoided falling into sin. So who are we listening to? Who are we standing with? Who are we sitting with, so to speak? Do they follow the instruction of the Lord, or do they reject it? Now, I'm not talking about the people you're trying to lead to Christ by sharing the gospel with them. That's different. We want you to spend time with those people. I'm talking about hanging around and agreeing with the people who reject God and his word. And this often is some of the struggle at the first, at, uh, in the first months or years of being a new Christian. You have old friends that now you have different values because God has changed your heart. So you need to pull away from them to, to a certain degree. So the first, the, final, the first question, rather, then, is what path are you on? Are you on the path with those who are guiding their lives by God's word, 
Or are you on the path with those who reject God's word? What is the source of your values? Second, let's look in verses 3 and 4 at the two contrasting effects of the people on the different paths. Here are two similes based on agriculture in ancient Palestine, describing the effects of two kinds of people on others. The first image is that of a tree in a dry climate, which, in spite of being in a dry climate, thrives because of its constant supply of, of water from the stream. Look at verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. A tree, a good tree, bears fruit not for itself, but for others. Thus, when those who live by God's word prosper or succeed, it's not for themselves, but to bring benefit to others. The verb planted here indicates that the location of the tree is intentional. It's either been transplanted there as a sapling or was planted as a seed next to the, the stream or the river. That is, it was intentionally planted by the Spirit of God next to the stream or the river, the living Word of God who is Christ, as he's found in the Scriptures, so that it we will receive the proper and necessary nourishment for a fruitful life. We see a similar image back in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. Even in the year of drought, it does not cease to bear fruit. The person who guides his life by God's word benefits others' lives in a variety of ways according to the gifts that God has given to us and to him. He practices good works not to earn salvation, but as the fruit of salvation. As Ephesians 2, 8, and 10 say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. For we are the workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And we're never too old to bear fruit for God. Listen to Psalm 92, verses 12 and 14. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Believers are never old, too old to benefit others even if because of infirmities we can only pray for people. After all, prayer is the first thing all of us can do for others. The other image in these verses compares those who reject God's words to worthless chaff because they benefit no one except perhaps themselves. Look at verse 4. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. So here's a picture of a threshing floor at the time of grain harvest in ancient times. Threshing floors were often located on hills to catch the best breezes. Grain was brought and crushed by animals or threshing tools and thrown, thrown high into the air where the wind blows the lighter chaff away. 
the heavier grain, the fruit of the harvest, falls back to the floor and is then collected. The chaff is scattered, either scattered by the wind or lies next to us and it's burned up because it's worth nothing. Likewise, those who reject the instruction of the Lord are not able to do good works that please the Lord or benefit others. As Isaiah 64 says in the New Living Translation, because we are all infected and impure with sin, when we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. So even if unbelievers give great sums of money to charity or donate their time to worthy causes, they do so, even if they don't realize it, to get some benefit for themselves, some personal satisfaction or some accolades from others because their hearts have not yet been purified by faith in Christ. So which image do you and I most look like? The tree by the stream that bears fruit for others or the chaff blown away by the wind who benefits only himself? Third, let's look in verses 5 and 6 at the contrasting outcomes of the lives of the people on these two paths. The word therefore at the beginning of verse 5 indicates that these verses are bringing a conclusion to the psalm. They answer the question of where these two kinds of lives are headed, where they will end up, and they show that God will make the contrast last forever. The final outcome of the lives of those who continue to reject God's words is to suffer judgment under God's wrath. They will not join the faithful in heaven. Look at verses 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The way of the wicked will perish. By contrast, the final outcome of the lives of those who live by God's word is to receive God's affection and approval in this life and the next. Look at verse 6. For the Lord knows the way or the path of the righteous. The word knows here seems to be something stronger than simply knows about, since God knows everything about everything, completely and exhaustively. Some people have argued that the word means cares for, but it's perhaps better to be taken as knows with affection and approval. We see something like this in Amos chapter 3, verse 2, when God speaks of Israel. You only, Israel, have I known of all the families of the earth. And we see this in the New Testament, something like 1 Peter 2.9, speaking of Christian believers. Peter wrote, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This contrast between the final ends of believers and unbelievers is also seen in, a par- in the parable of the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds in Matthew chapter 13. At the end of the age, the Son of Man will send his angels, Jesus said, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, but then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Those who choose to reject the instruction of the Lord are walking toward final judgment without 
the benefit of Christ's sacrifice for their sins. While those who receive and live by the instruction of the Lord are truly happy or blessed in the final judgment because they have received the, the affection and approval of the Lord. So a final question to ask ourselves today is, what will be the final destination of the path that we're walking on? None of us sitting here today or at home have reached the end of our paths, our final destination, not yet. For those who have so far rejected God's word, God's instructions, it's not too late to turn back and take the other path. Now, most of us men, when we're driving, hate to admit that we don't know where we are or stop to get directions until we're convinced that we are utterly lost. But that's true of us spiritually as well. Until we're convinced we are lost, we're not going to turn back and find another way. I think of the story of the prodigal son who walked away from home and family and practiced all kinds of sin in another country. But he eventually found himself feeding pigs without enough food to keep himself fed properly. He realized then that he had taken the wrong path. He went back to his father who received him with open arms. You and I can do the same thing by turning back to where we took the wrong way. That means giving up personal autonomy, no longer rejecting but instead accepting God's word embodied in the person of Jesus Christ who freely offers forgiveness of sins to those who will repent. And once you're on the right path by faith, you'll be able to be a true benefit to others in this life. And you will receive God's affection and approval in this life and the next. Here's a personal application that might be helpful to some and perhaps a little hard to share. My mother, our mother, I have a brother and a sister, died rather quickly of COVID-19 in October 2020 at age 92. But during the last week of her life, her pastor began to read Psalm 121 to her at her bedside. Actually, he had to do it over the phone while standing outside the window of her room in the COVID unit of the nursing home. But after he had read a verse or two of that Psalm 121, he noticed that in spite of her illness and dementia, she was reciting it from memory so he let, it, let her finish it by herself. He didn't know this at the time, but we knew, we know that most likely she had memorized that psalm in catechism class in the Reformed Church some 80 years prior, and she still remembered it. After her death, the pastor related that story to me and my siblings, and I asked him how he understood verse 7 that says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Because it seemed to me that God didn't necessarily keep her from evil or keep her life. She got sick and she died. He gave his answer a few days later in his meditation at the graveside. 
when he said, the key word in that passage is keep. He went on to say, God keeps, guards, watches over, and protects his people in this life and in death. He was with her in her life, and now she is with him in her death. As Stacy said earlier, he never leaves us nor forsakes us in this life or the next life. And as verse 8 of that same psalm concludes, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. For many, the holiday season we just passed through is a time of gathering with family and friends to celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year and to celebrate being together again. But for some, it may have also been a time of remembering and grieving once again your loved ones who have died. But though we miss them, especially during these times, we can be thankful that those who walked the path of the righteous by faith in Christ are now enjoying his affection and approval eternally in heaven. And we who follow them on that path can look forward to being with them again one day, as well as especially being with our Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom and instruction that your word gives to us. Thank you for the free offer of forgiveness of sins that you extend to all. Thank you for placing your affection and approval on all those who trust in you by faith and keeping us in life and in death. In Jesus' name we pray.